So last week we started in a new series on the book of Colossians titled Held Together in Christ. And we heard Aaron introduce us to the context of what was going on in the midst of these Colossi- in, in the midst of the Colossian people. They were in an area where there were many different spiritual practices and many different spiritual options and there was a lot of mixing and matching. So you could take a little bit from yours and you could take a little bit from someone else's and just this this mix of opportunities. So when Jesus was introduced into that as someone to be followed or his teachings were introduced as potentially instructional, everyone could just add that into the mix. And like many of the letters in the New Testament, he decides, Paul decides to lead with encouragement and to lead with thanksgiving. But as Aaron told us as well, their theology was not good. To put Jesus into the mix with all of these other things is not the way that it should be. So like these letters, he praises and then he gets into, here is how it should be. Here is what you should be doing. And he gives us these words now from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that everything, in everything, he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross." It continues, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out on the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, the author, have become a servant. So he comes after that thanksgiving and that encouragement with a pretty thick resume of who Jesus is and what he is all about. Paul is all in on Jesus. And you heard that word repeated again and again, all things, all, all. If you look at the book of Colossians, depending on the translation, that word in those four chapters appears about 25 to 30 times. Paul's making no mistake that it is all about Jesus. And he repeats too, him and he and in whom. He is directing those Colossian Christians to Jesus. He is a self-proclaimed servant. And he has given his life to Jesus, and he has given his life to making Jesus known. And he is calling the Colossians to do that, and he is calling us to do that as well. 
And I feel like we could just read through those verses a couple of times together this morning and and soak it all in, that reminder of Jesus' place in our lives. And here are some of the words that we just heard. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. God come down to earth in human form, and the fullness of God, all the fullness of God, is in him. He is the firstborn over all creation, and he comes before all things. All things were created through him. All things were created for him. All things were created by him, and he holds all of those things together. He's the head of the body, he's the head of the church, and he will reconcile all things to God through him. This is Christ's supremacy, and this is our one path to salvation. It's about Jesus and only Jesus. So in a world full of gods, Paul is making sure that Jesus is pulled out of that mix and he is elevated and saying, this is the one. He's not an option. He's not one option. He is the way, the one way. And during his ministry, Jesus would get in trouble with the religious rulers. And it came from a couple of different things. Number one, he would draw attention away from them. They had some status and they had some authority in that community And they like to remind people what the rules were, and they like to follow the rules very publicly and say, look at us, look at me, this is the way it works. And then Jesus comes along and says, that's not it. Adherence to these religious practices is not what it's all about. And he talked to them about the difference between the inside and the outside. All of these things that we do publicly, all of these things that others can see versus what's really going on in our heart. And Jesus knocks them off of their religious pedestal more than a little bit. But that's not what put Jesus on the cross. What put Jesus on the cross was his suggestion, his claim that I am God. That was blasphemy, and that was too much. So when Jesus says to them, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father... He's being very clear about who he is. It's that fullness of God present in him that we hear in our passage. And he uses these two little words, I am, that were used throughout the Old Testament to declare God. And we see some illustrations here from two different artists of what would happen when he used these words. When, they, when he said, I am the Messiah, I am Or they said, are you the son of God? And he responded simply with, I am. It was such a powerful statement that we read that these people would fall back. These words would knock them over. Because there was such power in that phrase. He is claiming in that moment, I am God. And people would fall to their knees. And they would be in fear of that power. And Paul is pointing to that Jesus in the verses that we read this morning and saying he is. He is God, the image of the invisible God, the God who stands before and above all other gods, the one who created our universe. And we hear a lot of those creation references in the passage, firstborn over all creation, in him all things were created. 
All things, again, created through him and for him. And he comes before everything. In him, all things hold together. He's the head. He is the beginning. And that's just six verses from the passage today. Paul's saying, make no mistake. All knowledge, all authority, all power come through him. That's the one you need to follow. And why would you dilute that with all of these other options, all of these other gods, all these other practices and ideas? He's saying you need to align yourself with Jesus and only Jesus. And here in the photo, we've got him holding the world in his hands, and we know it extends beyond that, right, to all the corners of our universe. And he talks about Jesus being there in the beginning. So soon we're going to be moving into the Christmas season. We're going to be moving into Advent. We're going to be thinking about the time where Jesus came in human form. The word given there, Emmanuel, God with us. But this nativity scene is not when Jesus arrives in your Bible for the first time. The baby in the manger is not it. Paul says he's firstborn over all creation, and that can be two things. It can be a status, a power, and an authority, but it is also speaking of time. And there are familiar verses at the beginning of John that many of you know that say, in the beginning was the word, Jesus, and he was with God, and he was God. He was with God in the beginning. And many similar phrases to what we hear in the Colossian letter here. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him is life, and that life is the light of all mankind. He's saying Jesus didn't arrive in that nativity scene. He was there at the beginning of all creation, at the beginning of time, with the power and the authority of God. Just like the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does not show up in your Bible for the first time at Pentecost. He is there at the beginning in creation as well. Genesis 1, 1 and 3, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and the Spirit was there hovering over the waters. So nothing predates them. Nothing comes before them and nothing has authority over them. They were there before all of these things that we now can see and touch and understand. And he holds all of those things now and forever together. He has the word that Paul uses in Colossians, supremacy. So like the Colossians, we often need to be reminded of his rightful position in our world and in our lives. All things created for him, and that includes us. As distracted and stretched as we may be, we are his, and all of those things belong to him. And I've had a number of conversations just over the past week, again, about the busyness of our lives. The busyness of our days and our schedules and the priorities and the family things we need to take care of and the personal things that we need to take care of and the way we start our days and the way we end our days and everything that happens in between. We know God is there, right? We know he is in all things, and we acknowledge that, 
but how much intentional space do we really create for him? And is it just a little bit, or is he in all things? I don't know if you're like me. I've got my alarm clock in my pocket. I use my phone as my alarm, and it goes off in the morning. And as I shut it off, the first thing I notice is all the notifications, right? Some of you who get up earlier than me, sometimes you're part of those notifications, right? Who did I get a text from? Who did I get an email from? What's social media trying to tell me today? What other little notifications pop up? And I am quickly immersed in all of those things. Or maybe you wake up and it is a rush to get out the door to whatever you need to do. Or you're responsible for members in your family. We got to get up. We got to get moving. Or you wake up in dread because you know what lies ahead and the things that you need to do for that day. And that's the way we start our day. And that's the messages that are in our head. And then throughout the day, how much time, how much thought do we give to this one who is to have supremacy in our lives? Or do we navigate mostly that day without him? And then what about the end of the day? You finally get through all of those things that you need to do, and you're exhausted, and you reach that much-coveted time in your day where you can just sit down and shut your brain off and get this guy back out right? Your little screen or your big screen, and you just want to let go of all of it. But those messages that you allow in, wherever they come from, are going to form the way you think and act and what takes priority in your lives. And if we let school and work and extracurricular activities and these human relationships and trying to manage a household dominate all of those things, Maybe Christ doesn't permeate our lives with his supremacy like he needs to. Like the Colossians, is Jesus the main thing, the one thing, or just another thing to consider? Just something else that we can throw into the mix. Does he have supremacy? Is he preeminent in your life? Or are there just too many other things that are stealing your time and your attention away? And maybe you rush through that day. Maybe you feel today like you're just barely hanging on. Too much to do. Too much to think about. Too much to take care of. And when we can't hold it together, maybe it's because the one who's supposed to be holding it together for us has not been invited into our lives. I read something this week that I had to ponder for a moment. It said, when we seek the attention of other people, when our priority is to impress someone else and not to live for God, maybe he takes a step back and lets you absorb that and receive that, but it feels empty because he stepped away for a moment and he's not really there. He says, if you want their attention, if it's about them and not about me, I'll let you have that and we'll see how it goes. And there may be something else in your life that is central for you who are students. Whose affirmation are you seeking? Is it your classmates or your friends? Is it some sort of digital likes or praise that really drives you? Are you trying to find fulfillment in accolades in the classroom or in your sports 
or your activities. Or maybe you feel less than because you're behind on the trends or the technology. Somebody else seems to have more of that figured out. And your focus is on those things. Or you're a young adult and you're like, if I could just, if I could just get the right job. Or if I could just find that, that future spouse and we find fulfillment in the work or in the people. If I could just make enough money so I could get a new car and I could finally get a house. Those are the things that are going to fill me up. Or parents, you're desperately trying to keep up appearances for yourself or for your family. You celebrate the busyness of your life when you are with other people. Look at all of these things that we do. All of these things that we've accomplished. All of these things that fill our schedule. And when you get to that moment of the day where you can just sit down and shut it off, really all you want is to get off that cycle and to get out of that wheel. And older members, maybe you worry about your children and your grandchildren. You have the experience, you've seen the things that are unfulfilling, and you see them going down that path. And you wonder what kind of a voice you still have in their lives, or in the life of your community, or the life of your church, and you may wonder, where has God gone in all of this? Is he still there? Is he still in control and guiding us? Because many of the choices that we make from day to day take away from that supremacy that God is to have in our lives. If we want to invite him in and elevate him to that spot, then he holds that true position. Surrendering ourselves more fully to him. How much of your life does he touch? Where do you let him in? And where is he not welcome? What's not working in your life? And is he in that? Or have we pushed him aside? Because that's the broken world that we navigate. We read that Jesus was there from the beginning. And if you flip to the back of the book, we know he wins in the end. And in the meantime, he's reconciling all of these things back to God and back to himself. And Paul says, follow him. Paul says, orient your lives around him. He needs to be number one on your list in a world full of options, and he shouldn't be competing with everything else that is on that list. It's not just a belief in who he is. It's putting him central in your life and making sure that he directs all of those things. I sat in on a, a webinar this week, and the focus was on teenagers, but I wonder how much of this information relates to the rest of us as well. And there were two statistics that used 30%. The first one was that 30% of those who believe in God don't do much of anything to commit anything in their lives to him. They say, yes, I believe in God. I believe he's there. I, I believe that he is who he says he is, but it's not changing me at all. And then there are 30% of the whole that believe God is even active in their world in any way at any time anymore. So 70% saying, maybe he is who he says he is, but it really doesn't impact anything that's happening right now. He is not really present and active in our world. But it says these teenagers are hungry for something that does 
connect with their world. Something that is relevant. They want to see a God that is living and active. And they want examples in other believers whose faith and their lives are not two different things. How does it really fit in to our day-to-day life? So as you consider the position of Jesus, the position of God in your life, consider what that says, what that is for your witness to other people inside and outside of the faith. If you are going to claim him, do you reflect a living, breathing, active, trustworthy God that would be meaningful and relevant to someone else's life who is seeking that same thing? One who is over all things. One who rules your life. One who determines your purpose. The faith in that God drives you and impacts you so significantly that if people were to see you and to watch you, it would be impossible for them not to notice that. That's supremacy. That's the Jesus of the Bible fitting into our current reality. And so often there's that space between who we are and that holy God, and we default as people to anything but the pursuit of holiness. We like this quote, don't we, from a Reformed perspective, that it's all his. Every square inch, Jesus looks and says, that's mine. But sometimes, even when we believe that, we think we believe that, we acknowledge that, we're still trying to do too much. We feel unworthy of that God and that power, so we strive to do enough on our own. We try to earn something that's already been finished for us. And those were Jesus' words on the cross. He said, it is finished. And in the word he used, it was the the account is paid. It's paid in full. It's done. It's over. I have taken care of it. And he invites us to follow him in that. Our catechism asked that question. Question and answer 30. Do those who seek their salvation... Maybe like these Colossians in all of these other things, we'll seek it in other things, we'll just stack it up, we'll try as many things as we can. If we look to the saints, if we look to ourselves, if we look elsewhere, do we really believe that it's Jesus and only Jesus? And the short answer is no. Right? It says you may boast of being his, you may claim to be a Christian, But your actions deny that he is your savior. There's really only two options. Either Jesus is not the perfect savior, and you need to seek fulfillment in these other things, and you need to do it yourself, and you need to try harder, or in faith you accept that he is the savior, and in him you have all that you could ever need for salvation and for living the life that you are called to live. It is him, and it is only him. So I said in the beginning that we could just read that passage a few times, and we could soak it in, and use Paul's words and reminders about who Jesus is to direct us. And we can ponder 
Do we look elsewhere? Do we look to something else? Do we look to someone else? Are we looking internally to ourselves to try to make those things happen? Or are we showing that he is supreme? Here are the words again from today's passage. The Son, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, in him all things were created. Things on heaven and earth, visible and invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, all things created through him. All things created for him. He is before all things, and he is holding all things together. And he is head of the body, and he is head of our church. He is the beginning, he is the firstborn, and in him, everything and in everything, he has supremacy. And God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. And God is reconciling all things only through him. Things on earth and heaven, through his blood shed on the cross. Perhaps you have been alienated from God. Perhaps you have been enemies in your mind because of your behavior the things you choose to focus on. But he has reconciled you through Christ's body, through his death, and he presents you, Jesus presents you to God holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, if you are established and firm in Jesus, and you don't move, from the one hope that is presented to you in the gospel. The gospel that you have heard proclaimed that every creature under heaven, I, you, we must become servants of this one God. Let's pray. Lord, if our lives are evidence as to who you are, and what you are capable of, and your position in this world and in our lives, may there be no mistake as to who we are following. May you have supremacy in our lives. May the power and the authority be yours. And may we live into what you have called us to be so others may see your work and your love and your relevancy in this world because of the ways that we live. Bless us in this week as we go out to do what you have called us to do. May you be there in the morning. May you be with us in the evening and in all the spaces in between. Amen.